Welcome to the Biopractica Professional Podcast Series. Biopractica is an Australian-owned, practitioner-only brand focusing on nutritional and herbal products proven to play a role in preventative medicine. Biopractica is committed to supporting healthcare professionals in developing their knowledge and skills so they can confidently and effectively tackle the major health challenges facing their patients today. To support this commitment, the Learning Hub was established by Biopractica to offer practitioners a collection of educational resources so they can stay informed on the latest in health science research. Hello. If you haven't tuned into one of our podcasts before, welcome. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. My name is Paul Kern, and in this episode, with the fantastic Claire Murray, we'll be talking about the impact of peppermint oil on IBS. Welcome, Claire. Hello, fantastic Paul. How are you today? I'm very well, very well. Enjoying some of the uh, the sunshine, which is finally uh, poking its head around through the clouds down here in South Australia at the moment. So it's uh, a bright day, which always uh, kind of, for me anyway, goes with peppermint oil in the sense of, you know, peppermint oil is one of those sort of uplifting things. And uh, I must say, though, with my traditional, I'll say, knowledge of peppermint oil, I may not have thought we were going to be having this conversation today. Well, I suppose, yeah, let's start getting into that and teasing it apart, hey, to like dig into the nitty gritty. If we're looking at peppermint oil and IBS and how these are related and how peppermint oil is helping or influencing IBS, I suppose let's just start with a little bit of a like IBS overview. Sure, sure. And, and uh, I guess that's the thing, you know, IBS – and what what will sort of go through shows that it's really quite a, a complex, you know, that hence why it's syndrome. It's not a specifically mm. diagnosable thing. You know, its criteria are quite large and, and broad. And something like mm. peppermint oil, you know, for, for years and in, in, you know, I remember when I first learned about it, you know, the teachings are it's a relatively sort of gentle thing. And I think we, we see it as being benign. And sometimes we can associate something gentle and somewhat benign with not necessarily being powerful. But that's why I'm so excited mm. in talking about it today. But look, you're right. Let's have a bit of a look at an overview of IBS. But to save a bit of time, it might be sort of easiest if I mention what was published in a 2021 uh, meta-analysis on the impact of peppermint oil and IBS. So the pathophysiology of IBS is, as I said before, really is quite complex and really does involve an interaction of so many various factors. And it includes some of the ones I'm about to mention. So number one is genetic predisposition. Very often there can be, I'll say, a sort of family. You can trace IBS and symptoms through families. There can be issues with the gut-brain axis. And I think it's also important to mention, though, that while we can't necessarily do a whole lot with genetic predisposition, we might be able to do some things. Things like gut-brain axis now, you know, the research over the past few years is that's something that we can absolutely work with. Mm -hmm. There can be also um, cases of visceral sensitivity and GI motility. And and I think it's going to be quite exciting to sort of look at some of the effects of what we can do to improve GI motility. IBS and SIBO, you might recall there was a a publication from a Queensland, I think, university in the past couple of years that linked very closely SIBO with IBS. And so Mm. I really do think it's going to be interesting because we know in not all SIBOs, but especially things like SIBO-C, that we do have that GI motility 
issue. Mm. Of course, gut dysbiosis, we probably wouldn't have been having this chat regarding IBS and gut dysbiosis back in the 1900s, but welcome 2023. <laughs> we know so much more about the world. Look, even things like neurotransmitters can play a role in IBS. And, and you know, a, a lot of people with IBS, uh, some of the concomitant symptoms that we see can be depression and can be anxiety. So we know neurotransmitters play a role there. It was great to see in this publication, though, them actually talking about food reactions and that, you know, sort of probably, and I say it's great because it almost felt a little bit, I'll say, naturopathic, which is saying, you know what, some foods might be contributing mm. to it. Intestinal permeability, of course, which we've known about for years, leaky gut. Another substantial one is, in fact, bile acids. And I don't think we always think, and I've got my naturopath hat on here, think about the gallbladder, think about the liver so much when we're talking IBS. But, you know, this is absolutely established that it is, does play a role. Of course, there's inflammatory mediators. Something that unfortunately we can't really have much impact on necessarily is early life stressors. I know some people look at using different healing techniques to deal with some of those, but we know that early life stressors will predispose people to certain symptoms and illnesses. And very often it will predispose people, in my experience in practice, to gut problems. So, so they're some of the sort of general sort of things that we need to be considering when looking at IBS. The study, though, did go on to state that IBS patients with mild and intermittent symptoms usually will benefit from dietary and lifestyle modifications, which of course will include uh, a low FODMAP diet. And it goes on to say, though, in some cases, lactose and gluten avoidance, which I thought was a, a very forward-thinking uh, <laughs> attitude in a study on IBS. Mm -hmm. But it did go on to say smooth muscle relaxants and antispasmodics can also be used to help with IBS symptoms, especially when it comes to abdominal pain and bloating, which, of course, brings us, you know, when, when we're talking about, you know, smooth muscle relaxants, antispasmodics, carminatives, dare I use that word, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that's really where peppermint oil can, or one of the aspects that peppermint oil can really help people with IBS. Mm. Yeah, amazing. Thank you for taking us through that. I think you really, you can't really have a comprehensive IBS treatment without including some kind of carminative in there, I don't mm. think, can you? Because, you know, I've been doing a lot of kind of deep, deep diving into that whole list that you just shared all of those factors for my webinar that I'm doing on IBS, which I think probably would have already gone live and I would have presented by the time this, this podcast does. But just how much that element of visceral hypersensitivity is an element, just how much those nerves can kind of get irrit irritated, sensitized, mm. how there can be that misfiring or inactivity of nerves that can cause that motility issue or that pain or that spasm or the sphincters or the muscles or the peristalsis isn't working properly. And then, you know, this end stage is we have this dysmotility where the patient either has constipation or diarrhea and they have the cramping, the spasm, the pain, the gas, the bloating that goes along with it. So I think carminatives are just such a key part of that for me that are working on those drivers, you know, in, in numerous ways. So I suppose if that, you know, very nicely brings us back to peppermint oil, like how, what is peppermint doing specifically, like when it comes to IBS then? Yeah, well, look, it, it turns out 
at the moment, they, they're saying it's the monoterpene compounds in there that really seem to target some of the pathophysiology that underlies IBS. So uh, hopefully, we all know that peppermint oil does contain menthol. And really interestingly, that's actually been shown to be a calcium channel blocker in smooth muscles. And therefore, it actually has antispasmodic effects in the uh, GIT. It also, though, and you know, I, I think a lot of people knew it had antispasmodic effects, whether they knew it was uh, due to the calcium channel blocking, but also, and this is what once I started looking through a lot of the research, I thought was interesting, is that it's got some antimicrobial effects, but it's not just antimicrobial effects. It's a known anti-inflammatory. Of course, some of those amazing antioxidant effects, immunomodulating, and even anesthetic activities as well. And of course, you know, the anesthetic activities, I think we all know that, you know, peppermint oil, for example, on the skin can be very cooling and almost have an anesthetic type effect, but it can have that effect as well within the gut. And I think those are the points that make it really relevant for the treatment of IBS. And I'm not just saying that. There's, you know, there's been actually a number of different reviews on peppermint oil. And in one of the systematic uh, reviews and meta-analyses for peppermint oil and treatment of IBS, they found that 57% of patients receiving peppermint oil showed a significant improvement in abdominal pain compared to 27% uh, who were getting the placebo. And of those people that actually got the relief from peppermint oil, the uh, improvement was absolutely astounding at around 123% greater improvement in abdominal pain. However, I guess it's probably not that astounding because that was compared to placebo. But, you know, that, that's, that's a big, <laughs> but that's a big result. And that certainly tells you, well, the placebo was doing exactly what a placebo is meant to, nothing. But look at the strength mm. of the peppermint oil here. That's so great, and it's so great that it reflects that, yes, it has that kind of carminative antispasmodic effect, but those antimicrobial, anti-inflammatory, immunomodulating, anesthetic effects that you're talking about, also dealing with those mm -hmm. other drivers of the dysbiosis that is so common in IBS, the, mm. you know, inflamed and, and degraded gut barrier like epithelium mm. that can be happening and then that visceral hypersensitivity that I was talking about before and how that mm. the nerves of the enteric nervous system can become primed and hypersensitive to mm. normal stimulus that, that are present down in the bowel you know I, I so agree with you that like once you start to deep dive into one single herb that you think mm. oh it's peppermint it's a bit benign like it's so common yeah. Yeah. Like every herb almost does everything, doesn't it? Like it's just every herb has so much to offer um, and peppermint oil is certainly included in that group. So, you know, I suppose that definitely leads us to believe and, and know that peppermint oil, it's a proven carminative, hey, and, and a breath, breath freshener to boot. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And and uh, uh, it's funny that you say breath freshener as well, because for some people, that's what peppermint is or does. And, mm. and you know, some people are using peppermints on a daily basis, you know, hopefully with actual peppermint oil in them. But, you know, for their breath, but, you know, it's interesting sometimes I ask myself, well, is that possibly having an effect on their overall gut health um, mm. as well, though? But I, I think, as I said, what I found really interesting was – because, you know, of course, you don't, if you can, you don't look at just one meta-analysis. You look at how many, however many there are. And there's a fair few out there, or there's a couple of decent ones on peppermint oil. And yeah, okay, it's a 
we'll say just a, it's more than a calm minutive. Mm-hmm. And it was a 2021 study by Tafiri, I think it was, that showed among medicinal plants, the menthus species, okay, now this is not necessarily menthopiparita, but as a species exhibits, you know, so many beneficial health properties. And there's a whole heap of data out there on cancer prevention, anti-obesity, of course, antimicrobial, as we've already sort of briefly discussed, anti-inflammatory, anti-diabetic, and even cardioprotective effects. And this is all in something which is, you know, has low toxicity, but actually seems to be really, really efficacious. And so I think you just drilling down on that antimicrobial element because it's really, I mean, it's an essential oil and we know that essential oils, you know, commonly have antimicrobial effects, Mm. but I probably agree with you that it's not one that we immediately reach for when it comes to building up, you know, a gnarly antimicrobial (laughs) protocol for Mm. a patient. Mm. You know, uh, we saw some evidence there when we were looking at those, that kind of menthol species group as a, as a whole, that there was even a, a special highlight on those on those species having antifungal properties as well. Mm. Mm. Oh, look, a- a- absolutely. And once again, that was a bit of a surprise to me because I wouldn't have thought yeah. of peppermint as, oh, you, you want some antifungal treatments, let's go the peppermint. You know, a- mm. at the moment, people are using all sorts of uh, other antifungals and, you know, they, they tend to be pretty rough. If we're looking at an essential oil, you know, a very basic take on essential oils, you say you want antifungal, People are going to be having pep, uh, sorry, tea tree. They wouldn't be thinking mm. of peppermint. Mm. And look, I have come across some people who even ingest tea tree oil personally. Oh, gosh. Not recommending it. No. But I have come across patients who have, and that's partially for antifungal effects. And it just seems to be insane when you consider, you know, the potential benefit and that, you know, uh, some of the menthol species essential oils were shown to be really, you know, have a good antifungal effect against things even such as uh, some of the mucors, uh, Aspergillus niger, you know, some of those other, you know, quite nasty sort of fungi out there that will and can colonize humans. So, you know, I I think it's Mm. amazing to think, wow, you might even find that peppermint oil has a real place here if there's a bit of a dysbiosis going on there and if there's a bit of fungal overgrowth going on there as well. Yeah, I think that's such a good point in that, you know, we were kind of making before and that herbs can be so multitasking once we kind of peel back the lid and really look at, you know, the myriad of actions every single one of our herbal medicines hold. And that I just think peppermint is so useful, right, in in a gut-based protocol because you're saying if there's a bit of dysbiosis, if there's a bit of a fungal overgrowth, we can add peppermint. We know, like you said before, it has a low toxicity but it's efficacious and it's gentle because it's carminative. Like if we're having, you know, if it's, you know, usually probably part of a wider regime, if it is going to be helping to release or reduce that dysbiotic burden, it's also going to be helping to reduce the spasm, you know, re- mm. help ease that kind of cramping or that that pain that can happen with bloating and with gas. Like it's a real mm. multitasker and we'll do some kind of heavy lifting for you in in a gut-based or IBS or whatever it is, dysbiosis protocol that you're doing because it's really kind of going to do a couple of things in one for you. And, and, and I was going to say, once again, though, uh, what I think is very interesting is you'll probably get decent compliance with it because some of those other things, really mm. from a taste perspective and things, if you've got those patients saying, oh, I don't like this, I don't like that, peppermint, general, generally, 
generally, you know, mm. the vast majority of people will will happily consume, we'll say. But I, I just wanted to say there was something else I discovered about it that I thought was really interesting. Mm. And that is that you might remember earlier, we were talking about the fact that bile acids have been noted to uh, play a role in the pathophysiology of IBS. But mm-hmm. it turns out that peppermint, and I didn't know this because I thought this was the domain of really strong bitters, but it actually acts as a coallergog. And there was a study from about 10 or 11 years ago that showed peppermint oil significantly promoted bile and bile acid secretion. So I, I absolutely found that astounding. But as I've said to many people, bile is something that's going to help peristalsis. Mm. You know, if you're really unfortunate on a Sunday morning, it's helping reverse peristalsis. <laughs> but otherwise, once it moves down through the stomach and into the intestines, you know, the peristalsis is heading in the right direction. And that, you know, once again, I, I, I never would have thought that something like peppermint, that what, you know, anything that wasn't a strong bitter, I'd started to get really sort of railroaded by my own thoughts. Oh, that's bitters. That's what you need bitters for. But it turns out that peppermint oil can play that role as well. Mm, Yeah, that's so interesting. It really adds that feather into its multitasking cap, Mm. doesn't it? Another one. Mm. But yeah, then I kind of, then accompanying that info is saying, okay, well, then if someone has maybe gallstones and we don't want to stir them mm-hmm. up or if they have obstruction of the bile ducts or if they have not great, you know, liver markers or liver failure or the gallbladder gets inflamed and irritated and aggravated, then maybe that's actually one that we want to keep in mind and not not kind of co-prescribe or not prescribe in those instances. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, look, and, and I think that's the thing because, you know, once again, we go back to things that we, we perceive to be relatively benign, relatively safe, etc. But it, there, there are, you know, sort of, I'll, I'll say contraindications in people that do have obstruction of bile ducts, you know, do have gallbladder inflammation. And those people that have very severe liver issues as well, you know, in in all of those cases, I would actually avoid it. And especially as an essential oil, Mm. you know, very small amounts possibly of the tea. But once again, if, you know, if people have that level of, I'll say, severe medical, almost emergency at that point, you know, gallbladder inflammation for me. That, that's pretty much a medical emergency or certainly yeah, must feel serious. like it if, you, if you've got it. Mm, absolutely. But look, just just I'm glad you brought that up because while we are having a super quick chat because about the how lovely and benign and tasty peppermint <laughs> is, it does also turn out there's a little bit of data hinting at, and I use these words very carefully, that you know, if you take large amounts of peppermint oil for prolonged periods of time, it might interfere with iron absorption. And I I don't think that would be an issue for someone having a couple of cups of peppermint tea a day or taking a supplement with some peppermint oil for a specific period of time, you know, if it's a week or two weeks or or, or whatever, while they've got an IBS flare-up, for example. I don't think that Mm. would be a problem at all. But I do want to make the point, like anything, you know, if you're just taking a huge amount all the time, it, it can cause it can cause problems. Mm-hmm. But I think you know if you use it in a smart way, in a well thought out way, it shouldn't be a problem. And I wouldn't generally be worried that someone's going to develop an anemia because they've used a little bit of peppermint. Yeah, and I think 
you kind of bring to mind, unfortunately, you know, that reality that essential oils aren't particularly regulated. There's a lot of them that mm. you can buy off the shelf on the market. There's a very large industry for essential oils. And, and um, you know, there are certain essential oils that we use as practitioners within formulations that obviously have research-based doses. Otherwise, they wouldn't be allowed mm. to be in that formulation. But, you know, there's the people out there that are ingesting essential oils without that direction and without that dosage mm. guidance. Mm. And you can hear some pretty amazing, that's a euphemism, case, you know, papers published of like these weird and wily and horrible things basically that can happen to people when, when that's happening. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think, you know, a therapeutic dose of, of peppermint oil for IBS is a very different story. Oh, absolutely. It reminds me of the guy who was drinking 10 to 15 cups of dandelion tea a day for six months and wound up with some oh. uh, some kind of problems. Now, I'm not even going to go into that case right now. But, you know, th th these are extreme scenarios. This is not what an, a normal or reasonable person would do. And I, th I think it's good to inform people that, you know, you, you don't want to go over the top. And you know, you really have raised that point that I've come across a lot, which is you can ingest essential oils, you can have as much, they're safe, they're natural. But I do want to also point out a lot of these trials weren't done with people actually ingesting the oil. The oil was mm. usually either in some kind of capsule or tablet or had some kind of coating. And I think that probably is important to remember as well because, you know, large amounts of uh, just straight essential oil with the you know, menthols and things like that in there, I don't think that would necessarily be good, and especially not for someone with sensitive mucosal surfaces. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I 100% agree. So therapeutic research-based dose of peppermint essential oil for someone with IBS. What have we mm. covered in this podcast? We've seen that it has that menthol, it's containing that menthol, which has that calcium channel blocking effect, which is that's a cool mechanism I'm supposed to be explaining I mean, either just to know mm. or to kind of be explaining to patients, it's literally going to be antispasmodic. It will stop cramping and often like the pain and the symptoms that can come with that. But we also yep. went over a bunch of other actions that a peppermint oil has as well, if you want to go through some of them, Paul, that I think has been, you know, a bit illuminating and, and refreshing to kind of go over. Absolutely. Look, so so the data is there that can really effectively reduce generally symptoms of IBS. When we do look at it, we know that it has this deeper action on the gut. And as I said, I, I was really almost pleased, both astounded and pleased to realize it actually can increase bile production. Mm -hmm. And there was even data on actually lowering uh, AST as a liver marker as well. So once again, we, we did talk about people with you know severe liver illness. No, I wouldn't be giving a peppermint essential oil to those people. But you know, it, it does seem that if we are seeing people with poor bile flow and you know, for, for me, as I said earlier, you know, a lot of my patients, I think with, uh, I'll call it sluggish bowels, very often the quality of their bile isn't quite where it used mm. to be or could be. And I say used to be because sometimes that's associated with having a few too many birthdays. Mm. But, you know, that, that it can be used as almost like a nice, gentle sort of uh, liver tonic. But look, overall, it really has proven ability to reduce symptoms of IBS and, and I think this is really important, and it compares to that of medicines commonly prescribed for some of those IBS symptoms as well. And I think those are some of the things that people need to keep in, in mind that it absolutely has its place, I think. 
as a, as a treatment in uh, IBS uh, when a practitioner is dosing accordingly. Mm, yeah, I think that's really great to share with patients that peppermint oil really is something that has a fantastic body of evidence behind it. You see it mentioned in a lot of information about IBS, a lot of research published looking at all of the different kind of complementary therapies available. Like there's such a wonderful body of evidence there really showing its its benefit when it comes to IBS, which is great. Mm. I'm sorry, I just want to point out one last thing. And where are we finding that body of evidence? These are in gastroenterology journals. These aren't yeah, necessarily yeah. In, in herbal journals. These are in gastroenterology journals. So it really, you know, I, I think we really should be uh, acknowledging peppermint and using it appropriately with our patients. Yep, absolutely. Humble peppermint. It's got a lot to offer us. Absolutely. Okay, well, I think that sums up this wonderful podcast where we've done a bit of a deeper dive into peppermint oil. I hope that's been, you know, wonderful for all of us who did our Materia Medica quite a few years ago to maybe do a bit of a refresher, but also bringing some of that newer science, you know, to show these additional actions that peppermint oil is really bringing when we are prescribing and using peppermint oil with our patients with IBS, with functional gut issues. So, as Paul always says, that is all that we have time for in this podcast. So keep an eye out for our next podcast coming soon. We're always taking a deeper look at topics that relate to the natural health industry in general, but also different medicines, different health conditions, and how our interventions and our work as practitioners can be having positive impact on our patients' health. So thank you very much, Paul, as always, for your wonderful insights and information. Thank you so much, Claire. And of course, thank you to everyone who's tuned in today and been listening. Look forward to yeah. uh, having a chat with everyone in the next week or so. <laughs> All right. Well, goodbye from us for now. Oh, one last thing. Just remember, look up that replay on biopractica.com.au for Claire's event and webinar that she will be having, well, she'll be doing tomorrow night, but you'll get to uh, see the replay uh, when you tune into biopractica.com.au. I'm looking forward to it, Claire. I'll see you then. I'll see you there. <laughs> Thank you for the plug. <laughs> I'll see you there tomorrow night. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. To continue the conversation or find out more about our products and educational resources, please head to biopractica.com.au. Biopractica, empowering healthcare professionals.